0: Good morning, beautiful. I know it's gonna be a good morning, beautiful. When you wake up with me, it's gonna be a good morning, beautiful. Da, 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 da. Hi, I'm Kevin Pinkers and I'm Donna Carter, and I'm wondering why you took off your glasses. Don't you need
1: to read your notes? Uh, I can see them. I have my font big enough. Okay. I don't know. They're just bugging you me. You sure do. All right. Yeah, I have good mid-distance vision and mm. good, and okay far-distance vision. It's my reading vision that's really lousy. That's just presbyopia, though. Old age, in other words.
0: Yeah, your the lens of your eye has just stiffened. You know what did it? Mm. My first book. I did not need glasses at all till I wrote my first. Book. Uh, yeah, I mean, I strain. Well,
1: no. Uh, or maybe it was just if you were a 45. child when you wrote your first book. <laughs> no, yes, I was forty five. Actually, yeah. I was a late bloomer. What can no, I say? No, I
0: mean forties is usually mm. when you start to develop uh, presbyopia. Mm.
1: Which presbyopia is... it sounds um, like a combination of uh, Presbyterian and I don't know myopia, like a really narrow minded Presbyterian. One <laughs> <laughs> well, myopia. Myopia is the the medical term for uh, being nearsighted. Right. Okay. Where,
0: Yes, near side. Of. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, narrow-minded, narrow-minded Presbyterian. Yeah, that's sure. It means <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great. To all the Presbyterians out there, we're sorry. <laughs> that was not intended to be an insult in any way, shape, or form. So we have a really lighthearted, fun topic today. Great. We're going to talk about shame. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> I have no shame. I was born without shame, oh. and thus. So I shouldn't ask you this first question I have. What causes you to experience shame? <laughs> so many things. Uh, l-
0: usually just the way I've treated people in the past or responded to situations. Like mm-hmm. anytime I feel like I'm being or I have been like spoiled or like kind of a princess, I have deep shame about that. And you mm-hmm. know some of the instances I know some of them. Yeah. that I and you've been like. That is not an unreasonable response, and I'm like, it feels unreasonable, and it wasn't kind
1: or nice, or yeah. Yeah. so we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that one. It wasn't kind or nice. Well, it was completely understandable, but
0: anyway, it, it, we're making it sound really awful. It just like one time I was a teenager who was frustrated because my whole family was sick at Disneyland. oh i was even thinking, oh, I was that thinking about that but okay, then that one the other little time little i got home i got home from australia and uh yeah you were also too sick to care though which is pretty funny um <laughs> yeah. but and, reverting to back to the first
1: one yeah but yeah. then
0: but then the, the the second one i'd just gotten home from australia and like just nothing in my house was where I wanted it to be. And yeah, that just
1: completely set me off. Well, you'd gone for five weeks and ended up staying five months, yeah. right? So we had to we had a series of cat sitters in yeah, your place. In my house. And some of them really didn't do a very good job of looking after the cats or the house. Or the house, yeah. And, and one of my cats was all
0: matted. And that's not their fault. But, like, she clearly stopped taking
1: care of herself
0: while I was gone, which still mm-hmm. breaks my heart. And, like... Just dumb things,
1: like my bed wasn't where I wanted it to be. But let's just not forget to say you've been traveling for like... 40 hours, yeah. It had been the same day for 40 hours. And you'd had to say goodbye to your
0: husband. My husband, not not knowing knowing when I'd see him again. Yeah, it was a hard day that I took pretty well until my house looked different than I expected, and then I just (laughs) fell apart.
1: (laughs) Well, shame off you. I know, but I still hate it. For me, um, attempting something and failing... Mm-hmm. is is something that causes me shame. Yes. I Nope, not worth it. If I'm not immediately good at it, I'm I never trying it again. I know, right? One thing I have desperately wanted to avoid my whole life is being a wannabe. Mm. Right? In other words, uh, you know, if I don't have a pretty good shot at success at something, I don't even want to try. Yeah, yeah. There's, I don't know what it is. There's something in me or my past that makes trying and failing the source of a storm of I, shame. I think it's really
0: common with singers. Um, hmm. People who just naturally have a nice voice. Every other instrument, you have to work at it. Mm-hmm. Singing, you can get better, but you just you, you want to make this sound and you make something close to that sound. Right. And then you're like, ta-da! Yeah. And then
1: other things are way harder. Yeah. And that sucks. That's anything, my theory. Anything athletic for me is oh. like, ah... Oh. And, and even writing a book and getting a book published, um, you know, I was, I mean, I, thankfully I overcame the, the fear, but the idea that I would try to do this and not succeed yeah. was not okay with me. Mm, I know. <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard the term shame storm. Mm. I have not. Okay. Well, according to psychologist Hilary Kennevey, it's, the internal whirlwind of feeling that you've really messed up, coupled with the sense that you're all wrong, it's motivated by a fear that you might be seen for who you really are, <laughs> which is a mess or not worthy or a screw up, simply not good enough for anyone or anything. So to simplify, shame is the overwhelming feeling, I am bad. Mm-hmm. Whereas guilt, on the other hand, is the understanding that I did something bad. Um, often, the Holy Spirit will use guilt to draw our attention to sin in our lives, and we may feel sorrow over what we've done. But it isn't soul killing like shame is. It's always used. It's always to help us get back to a healthier place. In other words, it's it's redemptive. Shame, on the other hand, is used by Satan to get us to feel worthless hopeless and to get us to hide from God. One of the most powerful shame storms I've weathered was at a trade show for women that I was was asked to speak at. And when I was approached to speak on the did you know stage at the, the that was going to be at the show, and this was months before the show ever happened, I thought it was going to be an amazing opportunity. I had a new book out, I would be able to promote it in my own booth, but far more importantly, I could speak about Jesus in this totally secular environment where many new age type services were being promoted. Well, the first disappointment was that the promo material my publisher promised to send didn't arrive in time. And so that meant we had nothing to put into the hands of of people who passed our our booth in order to engage them. Well, then it turned out that the did-you-know stage was not a stage at all. (laughs) Did-you-know it was a microphone at floor level in front of about 30 chairs in the middle of the chaos of a trade show? It was also the only place to sit in the show hall. So uh, it attracted everybody. who was looking for a place to sit, you know, to eat their lunch or to make a phone call or to calm their... Their crying child. Why the booking agent thought my book would provide provide good material for this kind of venue, I have no idea. <laughs> They're like, you're a woman, right? <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> kind of. Uh, uh, others, other speakers on the the so called stage were talking about things like gardening or cooking. I wouldn't have minded the competing commentary of the fashion show PA system and people's lack of attention so much if I'd been talking about crafting or something but sharing my vulnerable story of grief and how god brings comfort in that setting was excruciating so painful it it felt like i was laying my heart on the trans canada highway to be run over by people who were way more interested in the latest kitchen gadget I, I can't even fully explain why I felt such intense shame surrounding that experience. But I do know that it exacerbated my feelings of being invisible, mm. of not having anything meaningful to offer, of trying too hard to shine and not succeeding.
0: <laughs> it breaks my heart that you felt that way because I was with you that day and I didn't, I knew you were frustrated, but
1: I didn't know how much you were struggling. Yeah. And I had to speak that evening after that whole horrible day. I had to go somewhere else and speak again. And it was just like, I just wanted to. I just want to crawl under a rock. Thank I you. I did. I wanted to be just, you know, get in the fetal position and, you know, crawl quietly, under a Quietly,
0: quietly pass away. Yeah. Kind of. Just
1: fling myself into the sun. So Brene Brown, um, I don't know if you know of her, but she's a shame researcher. How fun. I know, right? How fun. But she's done a ton of TED Talks. She's written some great books. She's pretty well known. Um, She wrote a great book called Daring Greatly. Um, But she defines shame this way. An intensely painful experience, uh, an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Uh, she, I just want to take a the little bunny trail here. She um, has this great story in one of her books. I think it's in Daring Greatly about um, it, we talked just a minute ago about the difference between guilt and shame. Right. Mm-hmm. I am bad as opposed to I did bad, something bad. Um, she was in kindergarten and she had been working with glitter and there was glitter absolutely everywhere. It was stuck all over her face. It was mm-hmm. on the floor. It was on the table. And her little uh, kindergarten teacher said to her, oh, honey, I can't remember her name, you're a mess. And she said, no, Mrs. Whoever, I made a mess. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Anyway, just so you know, experiencing shame isn't confined to those of us who have failed miserably or those who've been abused or have gone through trauma or those who've been told that they're stupid or ugly or would never amount to anything. Even people who seem extremely successful struggle with feelings of falling short, of being unworthy, or not being enough. In fact, the only people who don't have shame are sociopaths.
0: Also, people who've been lobotomized. Okay, so sometimes Either brain one of, injured people.
1: Neither one of those clubs are ones I I'm yeah, rushing to sign up for
0: at, at the moment. Mm.
1: So while all non-sociopaths and non. Lobotomyized people, people have shame. Not everyone experiences shame the same way. According to Brene Brown, for women, it generally attacks when they feel like they're failing at doing it all, doing it perfectly, mm-hmm. and making it look effortless. For men, shame rolls in whenever they feel, uh, whenever they feel weak or feel they appear weak. Mm-hmm. Most of us can point to areas in our lives where we feel innately flawed. Anything that stigmatizes us will do that. Mental health can be one of those areas. It could also be related to race, an unusual physical characteristic, economic status, or really almost anything someone sees as different. Or undesirable. Or undesirable. By their definition. Yeah. Sociologist Irving uh, Irving Goffman defines stigma as a process by which the reaction of others spoils normal identity. Hmm. So we have ex- if we've experienced the reality of stigma, we probably carry shame. It's worth noting that certain mental health disorders can make us extra vulnerable to shame. I have like three. Yeah. <laughs>
0: four maybe now. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm collecting new ones. You're collecting new ones. I am, at 30 years old. Happy birthday to me!
1: Yeah! Oh, yeah! We haven't said that. By yeah, the way. I'm Kevin, 30 now. Haven't turned 30. Happy birthday to you! Thank you.
0: I got a new mental illness for
1: my birthday, and also some weights. And also some weights. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Um, so, yeah, so if you struggle with, you know, depression or anxiety or a host probably of other mental mm-hmm. illnesses, there's probably some shame yep. um, that comes along with that. Um, and you're, you're vulnerable to shame. It's harder for you to deal with. If that sounds like you, seeing a therapist, learning to grow uh, your self-compassion and learning to change your self-talk, mm-hmm. to tell different stories to and about yourself, those can be important Aspects. Of your healing journey those are really good long-term solutions but what can we do in the middle of a shame storm Brene Brown offers four steps we can take to recover first of all know what triggers shame for you so we've talked about some of the things that are there for us Um, that's important to think about so that's homework for everyone think about what triggers your shame can't wait (laughs) it's so fun yeah um, but it's really important because once we know what those triggers are, we can reality, track, reality check them. Shame tells us lies, and it causes us to lie to ourselves. There are two big messages that shame preaches. One is never good enough, and the other one is, who do you think you are? See, that's the one that gets me with the not wanting to be a wannabe. Mm. Who do you think you are? The third thing we can do is to talk to ourselves as we talk to someone we love. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we said out loud to other people what we sometimes say to ourselves, that would be considered verbal abuse. Sometimes
0: if like a friend of mine says something disparaging, I'll say, hey, don't talk about my friend that way. Yeah, I find
1: it very effective. Yeah, absolutely. So think about your self-talk and don't talk to yourself in a way that you wouldn't talk to your friend or someone that you love. And then reach out to someone you trust and speak your shame. Oh, I hate speaking my shame. Oh, it's so important. I hate it so much. Okay, listen to this um, from James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Whether your shame has to do with sin, like this verse is talking about, or some expectation you've placed on yourself, sharing with someone who gets you is healing and it's because of the fifth thing that Brene said and that it's shame can't stand being spoken Mm -hmm. and met with empathy empathy kills shame the most powerful powerful words someone feeling shame can hear are the words me too right I get it so those are very practical tools but there are also resources in our spiritual heritage that can help us to overcome shame can you tell me what you mean by spiritual heritage um so our um you know what the bible teaches Mm -hmm. our relationship with jesus if we have our theology straight there's a ton we can unpack that can Mm -hmm. help us kill shame in our lives it's important to recognize um so some background in our spiritual heritage um It's important to recognize that shame was not an emotion human beings have always experienced. We're told in Genesis 2.25 that the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Shame entered the world because of sin, and sin separates us from God and each other. When we experience shame, we become less transparent with one another, and we also try to hide ourselves from God because we feel unworthy of His love and forgiveness. Sin keeps us from God, Um, but you're not saying that shame is, are you saying shame is a sin? It's certainly a symptom. It's a symptom of, yeah, I would say it's a symptom of sin. It's something that sin brought into the world. Yeah, it's a symptom of sin, and and it might not be your sin. Like, if you are
0: um, a victim, uh, or a survivor, I should say, of like childhood abuse, Mm -hmm. and you feel shame, which a lot of people do, Mm -hmm. that is
1: not... From your sin. No. You did not commit that sin. That's right. So it's, it's the, what we call the fall of man. When yeah. sin entered the world and ruined everything for everyone. A product of the fall. Yep. Mm. Yeah, so let me remind us all about what the Bible says about God's forgiveness. When we feel unworthy of forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we're thinking rationally in the middle of our shame storm, which we're usually not—we're nope. totally in the limbic brain—surely we we could see the problem with our logic, right? If mm-hmm. God can 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 forgive us, isn't it a bit arrogant to think that we can't forgive ourselves? Yeah, like our standards higher than God's? Yeah, I've I've heard some people mm-hmm. put it as like, "How dare you
0: mm-hmm. think that you have the authority to say." whether you are or are not worth forgiving, mm-hmm. which is, like,
1: fair. So Just Jesus' death wasn't quite enough for you? Yeah, and... yeah. The first that I say out loud to myself when I'm entertaining self-deprecating thoughts is Romans 8.31. Or, sorry, Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, no condemnation? That doesn't give a lot of room for no, degrees, right? That. There's absolutely None zero. This is a binary. Yes. There's no condemnation for us if we are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus is the shame killer. Jesus never said shame on you. He says shame off you. And that's why I say it to yeah, you I know. so often, Kevin. Yeah, it
0: never works. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I appreciate the thought, but you
1: know, shame runs deep. Jesus wouldn't take shame on himself. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want us to take it on either. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us how Jesus rejected shame. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And, uh, sorry, go ahead and finish the verse. <laughs> and now he's seated in the place
0: of highest honor before, uh, beside God's throne. Yeah, and, and the crucifixion was not just meant to be painful. Mm-hmm. It was also meant to be humiliating. Oh, absolutely. It yeah. was meant to be dehumanizing and degrading and shameful. Yeah. And then they also actively made fun of Jesus while he was on the cross. Yeah. Put a sign on him, put a crown on him. So,
1: first of all, remember that this is a shame-based culture. hmm And Jesus experienced the ultimate shaming experience. He took on the guilt and responsibility for every murder, rape, and lie. hmm well, and while being part of a strong, strongly honor and shame based culture, he hung naked on a cross for sins that he never committed. Yeah.
0: You always, he always has like a little tea towel on, on the yeah. crucifix, but he would yeah. have been naked.
1: Yeah. He was rejected. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was abandoned, a beaten, spat on. And yet he could shed all this shame because he knew how the story would end. And the verse I just read said, it's because he knew the joy of eternity awaited him. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can do what he did. We can shed the shame. We can embrace who we are in him because of who he is to us. We are friends of Christ, children of God, fully known, deeply loved, and completely forgiven. Our position in God's family is secure, and so is our eternal future. Knowing that we are known, loved, and forgiven is a powerful antidote for shame. The Apostle Paul understood this, and so in Ephesians 3, 17-20, he prayed this prayer for the early church and for those of us who would follow Christ centuries later. By constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of, his astonish, of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and exclu- inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. There's probably nothing we can do to make our lives rich and productive as pursuing a deep and life-changing experience of God's love. When God's love defines us, shame loses its power. I want to challenge our listeners to Go through one whole day looking for God's expressions of love to you and naming them. I mean, write them in a journal if you can, or put them in your phone, or at least name them out loud. Notice the colors in the sunrise, the aroma of freshly brewed coffee, the soft coat of your pet or the smile of your child. Thank him for the crispness in the air and the fresh coat of snow. Being open to God's love might take the form of seeking beauty in your life.
0: If you're cynical like I am, hearing that sounds a little like, okay, it's just a cup of coffee or whatever. But the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Yeah, so it's everything, everything
1: that gives you joy. is like a little hug from God. Yeah, it's all I love you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe for you, an awareness of God's love won't be in the form of beauty. That, that won't resonate with you. Maybe it will be um, the form of being open to other people. Mm-hmm. In Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, he says that it is together with the Lord's holy people that we grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of, of Christ is. If shame separates and isolates us, Christ's love draws us together Healing our shame through human connection and belonging, belonging that whole, you know, um, pray for each other that, you're, you're, that your sins may be healed, mm-hmm. and maybe not your sins, but sins of others that have caused shame in your life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how it's going to be. It's, for every individual, it's going to be different that God will affirm his love, but know this, his love is constant, and it is available you can ask him for an experience of it. Maybe it's going to happen when you're meditating on scripture Mm -hmm. or you're in worship or you can catch glimpses of it in the beauty of creation, in human creativity. And maybe it's just going to be in authentic uh, Christian community. Mm -hmm. It, It doesn't matter what our story is or the story that shame tries to tell us. Because Jesus shed the shame, we are all worthy to revel in the love of God. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what do you do if you don't mm-hmm. feel like you have a safe place to say your shame? Because that's
1: one of the first things we talked about. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? Well, I think, I think you need to uh, go to God. Obviously, mm-hmm. yep. He's always a safe place, and ask Him for someone with skin on. <laughs> you know, ask him for, for someone that Jesus lives in mm. who would be safe, and then keep, keep your eyes open for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, have a relatively new friend in my life, and um, um, through my friendship with this friend, um, our husbands became friends, and we started doing some things as couples, and they were eventually able to um, talked to us about some really deeply painful and hurtful stuff in their lives that they'd never been able to share with anyone else. And oh, and they shared how they, it was just such a relief to have somebody to be able to tell and that they'd been praying for somebody mm-hmm. that they could have that kind of authentic relationship with. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that God is more motivated for us to heal than we are. Mm-hmm. And so if we ask him for someone to that is safe to share with. He'll bring that person into our lives. We just have to keep our eyes open.
0: And sometimes it's more complex than just the shame as well. Like I recently shared something with you about which I have deep, deep shame. But there are other reasons why. And it, it's taken me like 15 plus years to talk to you about it. And it is nothing I did wrong. Um, but it there's also fear of, of consequences, like I don't want to go into too much detail, but like of consequences that could be potentially harmful to people that I care about. So it's okay if there are complicating factors mm-hmm. and it's, it's mm-hmm. even okay if it takes some
1: time, I'd say. I do remember though you expressing such incredible relief having told me.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, it. It's, a, it's a, it has a lot of complicated
1: feelings around it, honestly. But. <laughs> well, and I think there was immediately re- immediate relief. And then you go off on your own and you start telling and then yourself I feel, stories again. Well, right? and
0: actually one of the things I was... We were talking about this before we started recording. I actually feel quite a bit of guilt, not shame, but guilt that it was so difficult for me to shoulder by myself for decades. Um and now I feel badly that you have to shoulder it with me. And and you've already said, like, don't. That's what I do. But, you know, um. so it can be complex. And mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't mean it'll all go away at once. No. And if, if anything, sin, sin complicates our lives. Oh, right? so much. So much. That's kind of its thing. And, like, not just our sin, but the sin of others. The sin people. of others, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it so- feels like a
0: rough Way no, to end. I, I just
1: want to go back to look for the love of God yeah. in your life, whether it's through relationship, through beauty, through creativity. Um, it's there, it's mm-hmm. constant, it's unchanging, it's available. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's it for us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst and I'm Donna Carter.
1: Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.